Hi, welcome to On The Daily, a podcast about finding the acoustic you. I'm your host, Danielle McCleary. I am a serial optimist and a champion of people who has long been on a search to truly see people and help you peel back all of your layers and become the most acoustic, authentic, and best version of yourself. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hello out there. Oh, I just sounded like a radio DJ. I hope you're having a great day wherever you are. I am beyond pumped about this episode for two reasons. Well, for a lot of reasons, but main two is this is the first episode that I've had that I actually didn't know this person before this podcast. I was introduced to him from my very best friend, Chris Chandler, and his name is Shay Boland. He is so many things, but he is a recovering addict. He is a men's transformational coach. He is so spiritual and just so in tune with who he is. And he really is doing such great work in this world for men and their transformational journey and kind of just helping men get back to like who they are on the inside. He has a program called the Inner Blueprint in which he does an eight-week eight-week course essentially to help men just get in touch with themselves all over again. And I am just really pumped for you to hear this. So if you are out there and you have, if you are not a man and you have a man in your life, like have them listen to this episode with you because he has such important things to say. And his story is just so, so, so much of it is so painful, but to see how he, how far he's come and how his trauma and his childhood has turned into his superpower is just so inspiring. And I just can't freaking wait. If you are just joining our podcast, welcome. Welcome to the On The Daily family, the OTD fam, as I've been calling it lately. I have no idea if that makes it sound cooler or not, but whatever. Here we are. If you are just joining us, welcome. I'm so happy you're here. I say this a lot, but time is a gift and listening to podcasts takes time. So thank you so much for giving us your time. I appreciate it more than you know, whoever you are, wherever you are. Last week, I had the incredible honor of interviewing my very dear friend, Britt Barron, who is a writer. She is a pastor. She is an inspirational, motivational speaker. She is a proud member of the LGBT community. She is a woman of color. She is just all the things. And her interview was amazing. So please go back and listen to that. We talked all about coming out. We talked about going through something really hard, feeling fear and doing it anyway. So make sure you go hear that and then listen to all of our episodes. We have a lot out now and every story is so individual and so unique. And I think that there's something there for everyone. So enjoy that. Before we get into this episode, I want to share with you a company that I ran across a couple weeks ago, and it's called Last Object. Their mission is to basically eliminate single-use items and create reusable, sustainable alternatives. So if you know anything about me, you know that I absolutely live in a sustainable house. We don't use real toilet paper. We use bamboo toilet paper. We don't use plastic. We use metal straws. We've gotten rid of napkins and we use cloth. Like any way that in our family, we can kind of create a more sustainable household for our family and for the planet, we do. So last object I'm really excited about. They have so many different things like from reusable Q-tips to cotton rounds to plates and a lot of things that would normally pollute the environment. They have all sorts of reusable items that are eco-friendly and obviously a better alternative. And I have a discount. So if you are interested in kind of switching your household to a more sustainable household, go check them out at Last Object. The link that you should click is in our show notes. So if you go to Apple Podcast show notes or wherever you're listening to your podcast and you click at the link, you'll be able to kind of go straight to their site. But if you use On The Daily 10 at checkout, you will get a discount. And so I hope that you have fun with that. Hi, Shay. How are you? Hello, Danielle. So good to see you. I'm doing well. I'm coming to you live from Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, okay. Phoenix, Arizona. Why are you in Phoenix? My father lives here. So I'm here uh, hanging out with him for a little bit, having some father-son time for about a, another week, I'd say. Oh, that's awesome. 
That's awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show. I'm so excited about this. Obviously, for those of you listening, I was introduced to Shay through my best friend, Chris Chandler, who if you do listen to the podcast, you've heard he was my very first interview. And I asked him, like, do you know anyone that I should be interviewing? And he sent me Shay's info. And so we connected and I cannot wait for everybody to hear your story and all of the gems and nuggets that you have to share with us today. So thank you so much for coming on. I'm honored to be here. Awesome. So I start every episode with a clearing. It's a Lululemon thing, but I've now taken it on. And basically like anything, we each say anything that like is going on that could potentially keep you from being present. So for example, I have a couple deliveries coming today and I'm so nervous that they're going to ring the doorbell and my dog is going to howl because she's in this room with me. And (laughs) I'm like, please, whatever happens, just don't howl on the recording. Although if it did, it did. But that is, that's like my clearing for the day. What is, what's going on with you? Sounds good. I'm feeling pretty present. I have got food in my stomach. I got my hair did here a little bit. I want to make sure my legs don't cramp up in the way that I'm sitting. And I'm afraid of any sort of lawnmowers outside causing disturbance. But other than that, I'm all in. Oh my gosh, I love that. I, I'll, I Nobody ever thinks about how when you're doing like interviews, sitting and your body position is so important. I have a stand up sit down desk. And so before every episode, I'm like, do I want to sit for this? Or do I want to stand for this? Because you're there for a while. So... I think my favorite thing about your story is just like the insane amount of mental work you've had to do to get to where you are today. And I want you to tell everybody all about that. But you, when you and I first spoke, I think one of the things that really stood out to me was just like, wow, this guy has been to hell and back quite literally. And you stand so tall and so proud now and so present and so genuine. And I have to believe that that came with an insane amount of work. And so I would love for you to start by just sharing your story, wherever you want to start from to where you are now, little just like an overview of what you've been and then we'll like dissect and dig in a little bit. Yeah, that sounds great. I want to start with when I was 10 years old. That's when my childhood trauma started. I was in my room all alone and the lights were black and I was in basically the fetal position, just kind of lying there, not knowing how to make sense of what was going on in the other room. My little sister prior to that night started really breaking out into high fevers and and we didn't know what was going on. And this particular night, it was really intense to the, to the intensity of her throwing up and screaming in pain. And my parents were in there tending to her and I didn't know what to do. And in that moment, I, you know, I, I felt the fear of losing my best friend, my little sister at the time. She was five, I was 10, and also feeling a little bit uh, neglected from my caregivers. You know, I'm a 10-year-old boy trying to make sense of this situation. I I decided in that moment, you know, not consciously, but as I reflect back, as I've been on the the spiritual path for many years and in kind of putting the pieces together of my story, and it's as if I decided the world is not safe and my caretakers can't be there for me in the way that I uh, expected them to be. And, And so I as a response to that stress, I, I went inward and I, I, I found a level of almost dissociativeness within myself that gave me kind of this, like a sanctuary in a sense and kind of a relief. And, and it served me very well at, at that time in my life. And I was very resourceful in a sense as a little boy. And I started kind of sucking my fingers and licking my lips and taking lots of naps and uh, really being in a lot of solitude and just kind of quiet and, you know, self-soothing in the best way that I can. Fast forward, uh, my sister ended up getting diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis and having a loved one in chronic pain brought about a whole host of dysfunction in the family and just tension. It's traumatic. And when I turned probably 13, 14, I started getting into drugs and alcohol, smoking weed every day, smoking tobacco and pornography and just those are my first entry points into, oh, I can take this dissociativeness to uh, another level with external substances. And 
I started uh, just distancing myself from my family. And it's as if my little sister kind of became a nobody to me because it was too painful. I didn't know, I didn't have the strategies as a young man to, to navigate all of that. And so I became very rebellious. And did you uh, know at the time, I'm sorry to cut you off. Did you know at the time that that was what you were doing? Or do you remember being that age? Because I know now you said like the, the source of my childhood trauma, but I assume that that was like something you figured out through therapy or, you know, through your journey. But when you were 13 and 14, do you remember what that what you said it was at the time, like what it was that you were experiencing? Yeah, great question. And I want to say, no, I didn't. I think there was this very um, just sort of draw to uh, hanging out with my friends and adrenaline seeking activities like climbing trees and skateboarding and rollerblading, jumping off things and smoking weed, drinking cough syrup, you know, just weird kind of teenager shit that like gets you out of your head and, and just it's like, I don't want to sit with my family at the dinner table and you know, have a normal conversation. I want to be out getting reckless with my friends. And what I was doing, and I didn't know it at the time, was I was really doing myself a disservice in a sense when in such a formative time for my adolescent brain to kind of get healthy coping strategies with emotions is I, I, it's as if I kind of skipped that process and went straight to the drugs as a solution. Fast forward until age 23 is when I got introduced to opiates. And there's so many more details with the story, but I'll keep it concise. And those opiates are like, wow, I've found what I've been looking for in a sense. And I knew that my life would be better without these. But there was this, what I like to call delusional sense of optimism that like, man, these make me feel really good. But tomorrow I'm going to get off of them and kind of live my best life. But today I, 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 I'm going to do this. And that optimism, that mind state of like tomorrow's a better day to get help and move forward, kept that going for another three years. And that that brought me to a level of, of pain and confusion that I never anticipated experiencing in my lifetime. You know, there's uh, multiple times that I was in different detox centers. Again, I can't believe I'm, I'm sharing this again about this fetal position with the lights off and like rocking myself with opiate withdrawals and just praying to like, please get me out of this, get this monkey off my back and then help me to move forward. And it's such a scary, tragic thing about addiction is that the the solution at the time seems to be more drugs like that, that, that would be the solution for me. And, uh, but I knew it's like, there's, there's gotta be more to life. And so in and out of treatments and detoxes and have like two weeks of sobriety. And then I would try just smoking weed, all of these different strategies but it all came to a head on October 25th, 2012, when I hit, we like to call the dark night of the soul. And I surrendered. I was using heroin at the time. I was living in Los Angeles. And that night, uh, I told my father, I said, get me out of here. I need help. I'm going to die. And my heroin chapter only lasted for about eight months. But that really uh, expedited things in a sense, because... Before with the opiates, I was able to really maintain some level of a facade and you know, I still dress nice. And I try to date cute girls and do my hair. And But with the heroin, it's like, wow, this guy is becoming a fucking junkie. And there was no denial this whole time. It was like, man, this shit's scary. Like, I'm better than this. This is not me. But again, it was like my strategy at the time to self-soothe because of the the hole that I dug myself and everything that I've been through in my life and my family yeah, came down. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, it's so interesting to hear you say that because it's like, I think so many times there's this, for anybody that hasn't experienced addiction, there's this thought that why didn't you just get clean? Like, why didn't you just, if you knew that it wasn't good, like, why didn't you just do something different. And it's just such a powerful thing for you to say where you were like, no, I knew. And there was nothing I could do about it because it like, I hadn't done the work and here. And then I like had dug myself into this hole that I felt like I couldn't get out of. I think that's just such a powerful statement of like self-awareness that so many people strive for in their lives. I mean, that's like a very self-aware thing to be able to say is no, I knew that it was a shitty idea. Like I knew that it was a bad thing and I couldn't 
dig myself out of it. Yeah. And just to speak to that with, with one quick story, I'll never forget back when I was probably two years prior to the dark night of the soul moments, uh, I was living with my, my family and got caught stealing the pain pills from my little sister numerous times. And that's how I got introduced to the opiates was her arthritis. And my parents ended up buying a safe for her to protect the pills. I ended up finding the code for that safe. And so I was taking them here and there and just doing it super secretive. And But there was this one day where she only had one left in there. And I was home alone and I was like, wow, if I take this thing, not only is she going to be in pain, but I'm going to get kicked out of the house and I'm going to be choosing to be homeless and just to even more of a shit sandwich than I'm already eating based on, on where I'm at. And I, I just remember going like running upstairs and like almost trying to put myself in this like kind of mental straitjacket, like don't fucking do it. Like you can't do that. And, and I just broke down crying and I would run down there. I'd put it in my hand about to put it in my mouth. And, and then I would run back up and do the straitjacket thing again. And, and I, I finally cave in and that's exactly what happens. I got kicked out and I got into a toxic relationship. My little sister stopped talking to me for like a year. It was fucked up. And everything in my body did not want to take that pill. And, you know, science shows that there, there's no mystery that addiction, there truly is a different hard wiring in the brain. And there's still a lot that we don't know about it. But there is something fundamentally different about people that get enslaved by addiction and alcoholism. It's a real thing. And it's like, if you know, like I have a so I was married and my ex husband was an alcoholic and actually like stopped drinking on his 21st birthday because he like knew he was going down a path, but he didn't do any work to like actually figure out what the root of it was. Like I I know when you and I first talked, which I'm sure you'll go into is he didn't realize that the alcohol wasn't the problem. It was his solution. And he... I just remember after he quit drinking, he became like addicted to working out and like eating and like almost to the point where like he got obsessive with it. And then he got addicted to other things. Like it was just, it's a hard wire and it doesn't just go away because you like stop doing it. It's, it can manifest in other ways. And what, so once you hit that dark night of the soul moment, you went on like a spiritual journey. I remember you saying like, what was that about to kind of heal or at least, I don't know if you ever heal it, you know, kind of figure out those wounds and like where they came from. Yeah. Yeah. So that was on, yeah, on October, well, it was 25th, 2012. I did my last shot of heroin at LAX. Um, it was early in the morning. I was with my father and uh, we got on a one-way flight to Austin, Texas. And that's where the treatment center was at that I was going to. And I just randomly chose Austin. It was either Austin, Utah, or Colorado. And I simply chose Austin because I thought it was going to be warmer and really had no idea what Austin was all about. And so I get to Austin and I I get to this treatment center and it's with 12 other men. It's ran by like two ex-Marines and there's just these hardcore dudes. And it was scary in the beginning. Just, you know, all I had to my name was like a, a backpack basically. And the scariest part was starting to feel those withdrawal symptoms because that is something with addiction, at least with opiate addiction, you want to avoid at all costs. And it's, it's traumatic kind of putting yourself into that physical sickness. And so, yeah, those, those first few weeks were, were quite miserable. And I had these kind of uh, daydreams about stealing the van and driving back to Los Angeles, cutting ties with my family and not doing so out of any sort of spite towards them, but just like, that's how much pain I was in as I just wanted to get high. Like I, I just wanted my old primitive baby blanket coping mechanism back again. You know, I wasn't ready to step into this next chapter of my life and getting in touch with my spiritual self. But each day started to get better. I started just incrementally started, oh, I I don't feel physically sick anymore. Oh, that man was helpful to me. He made me feel welcome. Damn, that felt good. Or, oh, I just did my chores on time. Like starting to feel just these little glimmers of purpose and like stability uh, we did CrossFit five days a week. We ate really healthy. We we meditated. We prayed. We painted our emotions in fucking watercolors. Like we did all the things. And and I picked up on that stuff really quickly. And I owe a lot to my mother too because she instilled in us at, at such a young age the power of talking about our emotions and just being 
a little bit more, I, I felt like I had a leg up on it compared to some of the other men. I was a little bit more emotionally intelligent and, and I, that really served me well. So that first year, you know, I stayed at that place for about 90 days and that was such a solid foundation for me to get off the drugs and get some good tools in my toolkit. And, and leaving there, I was really motivated by a lot of fear of relapse and shame that I was carrying with me. But then that fear and that shame started to kind of dissolve because I started realizing like, wait, I am not my pain. I am not my fear. I am not my addiction. I am, I'm simply just someone who's been through this and that's not me anymore. And there, there's this other spiritual side of life. And, and I've started at that time, I started tapping into it and like, almost learning to trust it, kind of dancing with it. Like, can I trust this? Can I trust meditation? Can I trust the language of my heart? And without a doubt, the answer became yes, yes, over and over again. I started displaying different behaviors, showing up differently in relationships and at work and how I viewed myself. And I've been sober for a little over eight years. And it's just been such a, a journey of each year, there seems to be this spiritual maturity and, and I'll end with this. It, it seems as if it's been a process of unlearning rather than learning. Oh, wow. That's really, that it's like a re- also a very powerful statement. And it, I, when you were talking about like being in Austin at the treatment center and like those very real moments where you're withdrawing from opiates and heroin specifically, you know, obviously with this podcast, we try to like break down the layers, figure out the most authentic and like what I call the acoustic version of people. I would imagine, and you can totally correct me if I'm wrong, but when you go through those moments of detox and withdrawal, and is that like the first time you face yourself in like a very authentic way? Would that be like a moment in your life where you're like, damn, this is me against me at this point. And how do I, who's going to win essentially? Mm -hmm. I want to say the, let's see, the the three heartbreaks that I had, one in middle school and two in high school, those were also moments of, oh, shit, this is fucked up. I don't feel good. I, I feel really scared right now. And, you know, because those first few loves in, in adolescence, I mean, they, they have an impact that I think stays with us for a lifetime. And and so those are moments similar to, to detox of like meeting myself in a very about face way, like, Shay, this is where you're at. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to move forward? Because ending it all is just not an option. Yeah, man. When you were going through like the depths of that and you were really hyper-focused on facing the man in the mirror, what do you feel were like some turning points for you in terms of, okay, I have to face myself. I have to, I have to figure out like where this is stemming from, because obviously, like you said, I am not my addiction. I am not my fear. So what were the key moments along the way that you were like, I can absolutely get through this. I don't need that. Talk about some of those moments and like how powerful they were for you, just like in terms of your overall journey. Yeah. I want to answer that in two parts. And and this could be divided up into uh, almost like a masculine and feminine kind of answer. And and so the the more masculine experience that I had was, uh, it wasn't just one moment per se, but it was almost like an overcompensation of ego of like, Shay, you're never going to go back there again. And you're the fucking shit. And like showed up and like, you're going to outperform all these guys at CrossFit. And like, you're going to stay sober. You're going to have the best speech at these like meetings that we would go to and I start dressing nicer and um, just carrying myself in kind of a more of an alpha type way. And, and I think that that served its purpose at the time, but it wasn't sustainable because it was really, I think that word overcompensation is a good word to describe kind of the energy of, because really at my core, I was like, oh, I'm pretty afraid, you know, I just want to be good enough. I want to fit in. And so I, I feel that that was very necessary at that time and it served me well. And then the the other side, the more feminine side is like a numerous experiences in humility. So part of the recovery process through the 12-step model that I was very active in many years ago uh, is making amends. And so after about a year sober, I went to back home to Montana to make amends to my family. And I started out with my grandmother first. And my grandmother had... Why grandma first? It's a great question. And I don't think I have an answer to it. I 
Yeah, I'm not sure. I'd have to kind of sit with that and just really get clear, but I can't remember why I chose her first. But she she was in a nursing home at the time. And so I, I drove to the nursing home and I just will never forget sitting out in the parking lot and everything in my bones did not want to go and let her know what I was making amends for because what was going to happen was I was going to shatter this facade that I have built up over years of that. I'm this kind of good Christian, like grandson who goes to work on time and doesn't use drugs or alcohol. But really I was stealing her pain pills, stealing money from her. I would sneak out of their house when I was staying with him and go get drunk and have casual sex and come back and kind of have act like normal. Right. And, and so Part of the amends process is radical honesty. And I said, Grandma, I'm here to make amends to you for the things in my past. And I am living on a spiritual basis now. And there's different rules of engagement. So here I am and told her about the stealing of the pills and all these lies that I said. And I uh, just re- really revealed my myself. And and she just held open arms for me and, and just forgave me and hugged me. And I asked her, I said, what can I do to make all this right? And she said, just continue to stay sober and help other people. And, and so that was a God moment for me because I said one of my, it was one of those first like experiential prayers, like being in that car before walking into that nursing home, like, God, I, I don't even know who you are. I don't really have a connection. Like, yeah, I've done some praying and meditating, but like this, I need you. I, this is not me. I don't want to go in there. I, this feels counterproductive. And the fact that it, it turned into such an amazing, powerful cosmic experience, got me to believe in something much greater. And it it was like that first taste of the divine for me. And there's many other moments that have uh, contributed to that sense. So I hesitate to say this because I don't want it to sound like I'm taking away from your journey at all, because I'm not. And I I think that your journey is just so incredible. And I think you're just such a really amazing human. It's like, I look at you now and I see this guy who is standing so tall and so proud and so, I guess, like confident about what you've been through. And I, I imagine that's because of the work that you've done to get there. But what's that like being able to stand so confidently? And I guess that's what I'm looking for, like own your story. You, you really own what you've been through as part of why, you know, you're here, which I'm going to get to in a second is like what you're doing now. But what's that like to be able to just stand in that? It's freedom. What you're seeing and what you're hearing is freedom. And I've been set free from the wounds of my past. And that is a testament to the work and releasing things because all too often we can get caught in a trap of, of over-processing and kind of stuck in the victim mentality and then kind of in this uh, delusional state of, oh, if I could go back, I would do it differently. But it, it, it started to really make sense for me of like, oh, wow, this this experience and just my life in general is actually it happened exactly the way it needed to happen. And then there's some gratitude that flows in and acceptance and, and not just gratitude and acceptance and an intellectual kind of understanding like, oh, I'm grateful for it. I, that makes sense that I should be accepting it's in the past, but in embodying, it is my reality. It is my truth. It's how I live my day-to-day life that I, I, I truly am I've moved forward from all that, but not in the, I want to be sure to, to, make this clear to the listeners, not in a bypassing sort of way. No, it's a, it's a set free sort of way. And there's many other things that I struggle with on a day-to-day basis that still have an emotional charge to them, but this is not one of them. And I have a powerful story now to tell as a result of that freedom. Yeah. And so what, what have you turned it into? Obviously through this you've discovered your purpose and why you're here and what your mission is. What is that mission in like the most authentic version of you? What is Shay's mission now? Yeah. I'd say first and foremost, what my, my mission is, is to continue on the path of, of trusting love more love for myself and how to take that love that I experience within and share it with the world, be a conduit of it and, and be a, a shining example of 
freedom and joy and love. And so my work these days is more of the professional side of things, but more of my internal work is about continuing to remove the layers and the blockages of love. And it's become the guiding force in my life. And so self-care and introspection and an inner journey of me with spirit is the utmost priority because that is my foundation. That is my launch pad for when I go out to the external world. And so when I go out into the external world now, what this looks like is, well, professionally, I'm a men's transformational coach and I serve men with emotional and spiritual development through a variety of modalities, helping them to get out of their head and into their hearts. Outside of that, of, of just finding ways to be a contributor to life rather than a taker and to be of service and uh, to inspire others and to find beauty in nature and animals and, and just participate in this cosmic miracle that we find ourselves in. That's so awesome. I mean, a men's transformational coach, when you and I spoke for the first time, I, I mentioned this to you that I think that is such important work because, and I don't know why it is. I don't know why, like for the most part, men have the hardest time, like, I guess like dissecting trauma or going through their emotions and like really owning their story. But why men's transformation? Is that just because you're a man and you related to that? Or was there something that incited, oh, this is what I need to be doing? Ever since I had a, had a really powerful experience in 2017. And it was a big tipping point for me being in, I was a restaurant manager at the time, kind of, you know, really stable in sobriety. I had about four years sober at the time and kind of working my way up that corporate ladder of the restaurant industry. And I saw where it was going and I didn't like where it was going. And, and so it was a merging of, cause I had all this, like all these spiritual gifts of like, Oh, you know, almost like my life was kind of compartmentalized. I had my career and work, but then I had this kind of like guy that was a, of service and was sober, would speak at treatment centers and mentored other people. And then I started thinking about like, well, what would it look like if I started kind of merging and, and being much more in alignment with service and creating my own business, using my own creativity and being guided by my intuition on how to proceed. And so this is me giving myself full permission and stepping forth with a lot of courage to start with a blank canvas. And so I came up with three criteria for my dream job, you know, setting aside the whole financial conversation. And I got clear on what would be fulfilling is number one, I want to be my own boss. Number two, I want to help people. And number three, I want to use my own creativity. So those three areas needed to be met. And so I kind of reverse engineered from there. And that's where I fell into the personal training industry and created my own personal training business and served others through fitness and did that for about two and a half years and got really good at it. I was very effective. And, but what I started to notice was how gifted I was at more of the emotionally driven conversations with my clients, particularly the, the males, because you know, here we are in the gym and working out and they're struggling with, let's say, a breakup. And I just started noticing that, like, I became so disinterested in the weights and aesthetic changes in the body. And I was like, bro, like, we need to light some candles and like sit down and dive deep into this breakup that you're going through. I hear you. I know what you're going through. And and so those are little mental notes that I was taking throughout that that career of like less of this, more of this. And so it it really was just this process of refinement. And so I was like, well, shit, does this mean I go back to school to be a therapist or get certified as a life coach? So I decided to go the life coaching route in December of 2019. So not too long ago, I... I said no to thousands of dollars in the personal training industry and said yes to ground zero, fresh start, uh, no money into this coaching industry. And But I had a, a desire to serve and uh, an insane sense of optimism and really in touch with my intuition. And so this past year has been about building that coaching business and it's it's worked out in beyond my wildest dreams. And, and I don't, sure, there's an abundance component and a financial reward that has come with that. And that's beautiful. And I'm very grateful for it. But what I really mean by that is noticing my effectiveness of how good I am at what I do. And I, I was made to do this line of work and I feel so qualified. Do you think that you would be doing this today 
had you not gone through what you gone through as a teenager and a child? <laughs> no, no way. I, I mean, I always dreamed of being, uh, I looked up to people like Tony Robbins and, you know, I knew I wanted to be in good shape and like dress nice and, and have some money. And, but other than that, like, I, I, I remember like dreaming about having a family and a beautiful wife and traveling a lot. And, but as far as a career, I, I, I just didn't know because all I knew back then was the restaurant industry. And, I just knew I wanted to be happy and fulfilled. And, and so the fact that I'm doing now what I'm doing is, is it, it's truly miraculous. It, it really is. It really goes to show that if you feel like everything is falling apart or if you feel like your life is spiraling out of control, it's like a good reminder, like keep going, keep going because you just like have no idea what's waiting for you on the other side. And it's all part of the story. If you hadn't had gone through what you went through as like a 10 year old crying in your room to like stealing your sister's pills to like opiates and and beyond, like you wouldn't be who you are today. And as painful and as like traumatizing as that was to go through, gosh, look at like what you can do with it now. It's become your superpower. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's, it's really given me something to push up against. And, and I feel that, you know, it's unfortunate that a lot of people need to go through some sort of traumatic experience to have a spiritual experience and more of a spiritual inclination towards life to see who they really are and the magic of what it means to be alive. And, but a lot of the, the people that have suffered a lot of trauma and the ones that have found freedom from that experience are the ones that are the most fulfilled and happiest is because they, they under, it's almost like we, we've gotten to see behind the curtain a little bit of, of, of something much greater. And, and another lesson in this has been losing my little sister. She, she ended up dying of an overdose on October 7th, 2019. And her death has been, I mean, super tragic and tough and all the emotions and the heaviness, but also right after it happened, it was, uh, I had so much tools in my toolbox, not to not feel emotional, no, but to, to navigate in a way that I felt grounded in like a level of acceptance that allowed me to feel sadness and anger and, but to still show up to my life in a way that keeps my head held high and that would make her proud. Oh my gosh, you just spoke right to my soul. I I don't know if you saw him. I my dad died. My dad died only a couple of weeks ago. And he's like my best friend, like soulmate. And it's crazy because people will tell me they're like, You seem like you're, you know, you seem like you're getting through this pretty, pretty well. And, you know, it's like when it's like a death of a loved one, I mean, I was actually talking to Chris Chandler about this recently. I was like, it's never going to be okay. So when people tell me like, it's going to be okay, everything's going to be okay. I actually want to punch them in the throat. (laughs) But like, it's, it's not, it's never going to be okay. Like I'm never going to be okay with not being able to hug my dad. And I know that the skills I've developed through years of personal development, through years of therapy, through years of spiritual work within myself and the way that I show up for others, I know that I have the tools in my belt to get through this and like figure out how to exist in a world without my father, even if right now I don't quite know how I'm going to get there. So it's really powerful. And like you just like helped me a little bit when you said that, because I feel like I'm in like the thick of that right now where I'm like, I just, I, I can't imagine it, but I do know I do, I I do possess the skills and the tools to, to lean on when the time comes. Yes. Uh, Thank you so much for for sharing that. I'm so sorry for your loss and, and, and grief seems to be this, um, an ongoing journey uh, that just seems to take on varying levels of intensity. And there's this idea of what's called grief bursts and they come and they go and it's messy, but there's kind of a beautiful component to it because it, it, it really calls you into some level of immediacy with your own emotions in your own heart. And it kind of cuts through all the bullshit and, and there's, there's, there's beauty to be found in there. And then do you know who Gabby Bernstein is? Oh yeah, of course. So funny story. Well, actually, I'll share the funny story in a, in a second. But the the work lies in 
moving forward with having a new relationship in the spiritual realm that it's it's now it's not two humans it's one human and one in the spiritual realm and that they are waiting and and so that's where i found a lot of healing is is me and her have, have bonded in this whole new way and it's it's i don't just say that lightly like it's it's real it's a real thing and it's super special so funny story this morning i was laying in bed just like getting going for the day and it said my mom's handle is Ann Darn on Instagram. Ann Darn is going live with Gabby Bernstein. I said, what the fuck? I was like, I, I was like, this has got to be fake or what, what's going on. And I hop on and my mom got like chosen to just do an IG live with Gabby Bernstein. And so they talked for like 15 minutes and my mom opened up to her and they pulled a card that said, um, if you think you've surrendered, surrender more. And they, they talked about it and then, Gabby really affirmed my mom with my mom's grieving process. And uh, they brought like a, a medium on and she did like a reading for my mom. Yeah, it's on the, the most recent post on Gabby Bernstein's page. And it's my fucking mom. It's amazing. It, it lit me up. Oh, my gosh, that's amazing. You know what? It's so funny that you say that, too, because my dad is incredible at talking from the spiritual realm like he like the day after he passed he was communicating with me through technology and I was like okay dad like I got it you're good at this like we're gonna it's gonna be great but like also right now I'd like to hug you and be able to call you and like hear you on the other end of the line so like but yeah it is wild like when you do know that and when you feel that it is yeah, it's real. I don't know how we got onto this, but I, I love that we've gone here. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, this is some heavy shit. This is powerful. So what is the inner blueprint? Tell me about it. Oh, yes. So you see that big smile that came to my face. So the inner blueprint program is a men's eight week coaching program that I created last year and debuted it in early January. And so we're right in the, the middle of it right now. We're on week four of the eight week journey and there's 11 of 12 of us and those there's different modules and they all focus on different area for emotional and spiritual development. So there's a module dedicated to self reassurance and self love and how to develop that muscle within and to use it as a as a superpower and then we have a module in regards to sexual energy and how to navigate that with integrity there's a module that's dedicated to service and how to use service as a superpower to get you out of your own head out of that noisy kind of ego and and be of service and to, to notice how fulfilled we can feel as a result so there's eight different modules. One more that I'll mention that I think is, is uh, one of the big ones is what I call the relational dojo. And we talk about different areas of our lives that we can make kind of edgy decisions or challenges. So this could be setting a boundary with our partner that we're kind of scared to set or quitting a job or going up to that hot girl at the store and saying, hey, I've been, you know, coming in here, getting my coffee for like six months now. I want to ask you out on a date, like these sorts of things that are like, will help us advance our growth. Maybe they don't turn out in the way that we want them to, but us taking the initiative to do so is huge. Cool. And so if somebody wanted to like apply for this or like reach out to you about it, like, should they just find you on Instagram? Is that yeah. So uh, my website is innerblueprintprogram.com that has more information about the program. And then at the bottom of it, it'll have a little space where you can put in your email to get on the waiting list for the next round if you're interested or just to book a call with me for us to build some rapport. I also have my website, another website, my personal website, shaybolin.com that has a little bit more info about me and some testimonials and also another link to book a call with me to build some rapport. I'm really big on not even worrying about finances or logistics and just having a solid connection and then going forward from there. Um, and also Instagram, I'm very active on as well and Clubhouse. So Shable on, on both of those. I'm really enjoying Clubhouse, actually. I just started using it. I really like it. Yeah, me too. We should do a little room together. We should, we should get some there. We should. Oh my gosh. We totally should do a room. That would be so fun. Okay. I have one more question and then we're going to play a game and then I'm going to let you go. I thank you so much for your time. And I like, I think time is our most precious gift. And so the fact that you gave me so much of yours this afternoon is I'm just, when you're with your dad, like I'm just so grateful. So 
Thank you for that. My final question for you is in your life right now, what is the way you are living most acoustically? I would say this level of intimacy that I've developed with myself and just noticing breath to breath, how I'm doing, how I'm feeling, how I'm showing up. And so this can get uncomfortable at times because I will be really in touch with some fear and some insecurities or, yeah, it's like my level of self-awareness and attunement to myself and my own needs and just kind of the, the status of how Shay is doing. And it's so just in front of me and, and it gives me this powerful uh, kind of curriculum to navigate and to move forward in a really healthy way, like breath to breath. And and I know that's kind of a, a, sp- a pretty spiritual answer, but like it's, it allows me to then show up more in the macro in a way that I am so grounded with who I am and where I'm going and how I'm showing up. And the, the kind of ripple effect as a result of that uh, is, is life-changing. And so that's why I called my program the inner blueprint is because that's what it's about is, is especially us men, we get so neglected or we neglect our inner worlds and we're so out in the world. And so my work, my mission lies in, in getting men back in touch with their, their inner worlds. And I, I teach from a place of experience and, and where I have access to the fruits of my hard work in regards to all of that. Wow. I commend you, my friend, for everything that you've been through and now everything that you are doing for so many people. I just think the work that you do is so important. So kudos to you for that. Okay. Are you ready for a game? This is my favorite part. I mean, mean, listen, like the whole interview is the best, but this is really where we get to figure out like how good you are at, you know, thinking on your feet. So this game is called Quickfire and I am going, you get one minute and I'm going to ask you as many questions off the top of my head as I can possibly think of. And you're going to just give me the first answer that comes to mind. How does that sound to you? Does that make you nervous or excited? Yep. Do they have to be one word answers? I mean, you'll know when I say it, like some of them will be one word answers and then some of them it'll be like a couple words, but what, first of all, what sign are you? Like when's your birthday? Leo, my birthday is July 28th. Oh, you'll be great at this. Okay, great. Yeah. You'll be great at this. It's like, it's always like the, it's the cancers, it's the Gemini's that are like, Oh, I'm going to be really bad at this. And they're terrible. Like I interviewed my friend Pixie once and she was awful at this game. And I told her that I was like, you're awful at this game, (laughs) but you're a Leo. So you're a fire sign. Like you can think quickly. So here we go. You ready? Yep. Camping or luxury vacation? Camping. Glamping or camping? Camping. Would you rather see a sunrise or a sunset? Sunset. Tacos or burritos? Burritos all fucking day. What's your favorite color? Black. What's the best article of clothing you own? My Lululemon skinny jeans. They're so good. Uh, You're going to a deserted island. You can take three things with you. What are they? Mm, A Chipotle burrito. I hate to admit that's how basic I am. Uh, my, My phone. So I can take some fun videos and selfies. <laughs> Sounds so narcissistic. Uh, and a uh, a journal. Would you rather not be able to smell or would you rather not be able to hear? Not be able to smell, for sure. I had COVID and I couldn't smell. It was awful, but yeah. we'll go to that another day. Okay, last question. What is your favorite food of all time? Cheeseburgers. Wow, that's the first time anybody's ever said cheeseburgers. Yeah, you were great at that. You got a lot of questions in there. That was great. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I like how you were like my phone. And I, you're like, I don't know why I would say that. I sound so narcissistic. I almost was like, it's because you're a Leo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. What, do, yeah. what do Leos love more than themselves? Nothing. Uh, <laughs> nothing. The there you go. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Shay, I think I, I just adore you. And I just like, I, I told you this when we first chatted, I can't wait to like work with you in the future. And I just know we're probably, there's probably going to be something else we do together. So this is a great jumping off point. I think you're incredible. Thank you for the light and the love and the work that you bring to this world because it is so needed. And I appreciate you beyond. Oh, 
thank you so much for just giving me this platform to let my my voice and my story be heard. And I mean, you 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 saw something in me when you did your little research, and without a doubt, you felt like it was yes. And and so I'm very grateful for that. So thank you. You're welcome, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. Later. Bye. Bye. Okay, so a few weeks ago, I was asked to try Organifi, which is a superfood company. And I am always down to try things that are good for me. And I have been using their red drink and their gold drink. Their red drink is all of your essential reds. Your gold drink is all of your turmeric and things that help you kind of wind down at the end of the night. I've been using them for a couple of weeks now, and I've really noticed a difference. I eat a lot of fruits and vegetables as it is, but having a dedicated red drink to make sure that I'm getting all of my beets and reds, raspberries, apples, all of my reds, fruits and veggies into my system very quickly. And then having a turmeric infused drink to have at night to calm me down and get my head away from any of the stress that's happening in my life. I'm obsessed with these products. I think you will be too. If you are interested in giving them a shot, head over to Organifi.com. Use my code on the daily for 20% off. And let me know what you think. I'm loving them. So give them a shot. See if you like them too. Shea Boland is a unicorn. I feel like I feel like I will be like beaming about that interview for a long time to come. I think he's just the work he does, like I've said, is just so important. And it was such an honor getting to interview like the first person that I didn't know directly that I was introduced to. And he couldn't have been a better fit. If you are interested, or if you know somebody who could use his program, remember, it's the inner blueprint, you can find all of his social channels and all of his website information in our show notes, Um, there will be links for you reach out to him, get to know him. His social media is so awesome. And he is very active. He said he was very active on his Instagram. He really is. And his his whole story is just so important, I think. So enjoy that. I will be listening to this episode a couple of times. I know that. Next week, I am interviewing a friend of mine. Her name is Tina J. Tina Jackson. She is a dancer. She's danced for Beyonce. She's a fitness instructor. She teaches for Kinergy with Julianne Huff. She is a meditation goddess. She is beautiful inside and out. She's just amazing. And I have no doubt that her story and her heart will just make you beam from the inside out. So make sure you check that out next week. As always, we love to hear from you. So if you are wanting to talk to us about this podcast, you can find me at Danielle underscore on the daily on Instagram or TikTok. You can find the podcast at on the daily pod. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We are available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Give us a rating, give us a review, tell us what you love, tell us what you want more of. If you are a guest we need to hear from, if you're a brand, you want to collaborate with us, you just want to say hi, reach out. We are around. We respond. We love, love, love talking to you. And I'm just so grateful that you all out there, wherever you are, have continued to give this podcast so much love and attention because it's seriously been a freaking blast for me. So enjoy the week and we will see you next week with Tina Jackson. Bye. Bye.